Hello and welcome to the Woodfloor Podcast, a podcast for flooring professionals, contractors, retailers and anyone that's connected to the flooring industry. We deep dive into the lives of flooring professionals, new and old, contractors, meeting the big boss and also experiences we found that may be valuable to you as a listener. I'll be your host Tom Cockrell. I'll also be joined from time to time by my wife Sarah Cockrell. On this week's show, we've got Richard Geddes, who's the Director of Sales at Rubio Monocourt UK. Rubio Monocourt specialises in wooden flooring and joinery finishes. We discuss everything from 30 years in the business to being a contractor and what gets him out of bed. Thank you for coming on uh, this week's show, Richard. So I wanted to start with who is Richard Geddes first? Interesting question. Thanks for having me, Tom. That's all right. Um, Where do we start? Well, Richard Geddes is currently the director of sales for Rubio Monaco. I've spent 25 years in or around the flooring industry. Um, As a youngster, which seems so long ago now, um, I was a flooring contractor. Yep. Um, I flirted in and out of um, retail and fitting um, for a number of years. My father was in the industry, so I, I worked with him um, on a sales side, but as you do, you fall out. So that when I fell out with him, I'd go back into fitting, flooring, carpets, et cetera, et cetera. And then spent a long time, uh, probably 15 years over three or four periods with with uh, carpet rights. Um and worked with them from sales to manager to regional manager, business development manager, um, looking after stores around the UK and regions in um, the southwest in Wales and in Ireland for four and a half years. Right. right. Um, and then for the last five years, I, I kind of fell into the finishes game. So I was working for UK Flooring Direct after I left Carpet Right. Yep. We sold them. Um, we sold them um, Walker products there. Okay. And I'd managed to get these Walker products from turning over not a lot of money to a very lot of money. And Walker approached me and I fell into the finishes industry that way. Ah, right. um, and I spent um, a couple of years with Walker and a lot of the uh, flooring contractors, floor sanders and finishers have probably been on training courses, which is a big uh, thing I believe in with yeah. me. And then I was approached by Yunkers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I spent a year at Yonkers trying to take, um, uh, trying to bring a new face to Yonkers, I suppose. Yonkers had been hit with a few um, issues with product failures over the years. So we, we brought out new products. We, you know, set up products for the pipeline for the future along with David and uh, brought out things like the reward program and started training days there as well. Yeah. Um, and then last year I was approached by Rubio Monocote, a business that I knew. Yep. Um with a plan that uh, really excited me. So the business had just been invested in. Um, it was a family business over a hundred years old and a new CEO had come into the business and a lot of investment was going into the business and driving it digitally, which yep. I'd picked up a big interest in from my time at UK Floor and Direct. That's a brief overview uh, of 25 years, just like that. Obviously we met when you were at Yonkers and, um, but my experience of, 
Rubio Mono Court, which is, um, as it says in the name, um, one court. I think I was in a local flooring distribution place and he bought like 20 tins of this new oil that I'd never seen before. I was always, if, if it was oil, we probably use Osmo or one of the other brands. And he, uh, the guy behind the counter had said to me, oh, have you seen this new oil? You put one coat on and that's it, the floor's done. And I'm like, I don't believe it. I don't, you know, I've always put two coats, like put the colour down and then, and then it's two coats with a roller and that, that I was stuck in my, stuck in my ways. And that's my only experience um, of the company. And that was years ago. So probably to bring that question in, who and what are Rubio now? Yeah, well, Rubio Monaco is, is a business that's been around for over a hundred years. It was founded by the uh, Mule family, um, third generation uh, Benoit was is currently in the still in the business and um, um, it was his uh, his family. It started off as a as a uh, resin type manufacturer. They used to make putty and then it evolved over years. Um, it's probably been in the UK for about a decade, <clears throat> similar to um, a, a lot of new finishes that came into the uh, into the UK. You know, if you go back 15 years ago, it was probably just Bonner, Yunkers, and the odd other one. But we've now got the Lobas, the Blanchons, the Walkers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, over the last 15 years, and um, the the how these businesses tend to grow around the globe is they work with um, master importer partners, so. The master importer will have the rights to Rubio Monaco or whatever brand in a country. Um, but a brand only goes as big as the master importer wants to push it. So how much money they've got to be able to drive the brand, how much effort they put into it, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, you tend to find that brands are stronger in other countries than they are in other countries. And that uh, very much sometimes is down to how much a brand is pushed within there. Um, within the UK, Rubio Monaco is owned by the parent company um completely and um we've we've got quite a a few regular users of flooring it's by far and away not our biggest sector um which is interesting because rubio monaco as a product was designed for flooring um, right. when we look across continental europe if we look at belgium and holland and and, and the far east and uh, and places like that the product is used heavily in industrial settings for finishing flooring. So with Trivec machines or Seuss machines or whatever it is, you know, the product is well-respected amongst uh, flooring manufacturers. Um, it's not as big as I'd like it to be in the UK for floor sanders and floor finishers. But I think most oil brands, with the exception of probably Osmo, would probably say that. It's, it's very much a lacquer-dominated country, um, the UK, and that's because... You know, it's three coats of polyurethane, no callback, no comeback. It's pretty much bomb-proof. Yeah. Um, the product itself, Oil Plus 2C is our core product, um, but we also have lots of lots of pre-treatments as well. We do um, quite a lot of water-based stains, which um, gives us a massive variety of, of uh, options. But Oil Plus 2C itself is... It's an amazing product. It is a one-coat product. It uses something called molecular bonding, uh, which is a unique uh, technology, um, um, which has its own patent. Right. Um, it was created by a gentleman called George, um, and the technology allows it, as soon as it makes contact with the timber, it starts binding instantly with the timber and creates this layer of strength. If I was to sum Rubio Monaco Oil Plus 2C up in, or put it into a category, 
Um, you have um, penetrative oils. Yeah. You have hard wax oils. Rubio Monocoat kind of sits in between, so it's got a little bit of a penetrative oil um, um, situation, but it's also got a little bit of hard wax. Right, yeah. Um, and it's it's this cool um, effect that, that means that you don't need to use a second coat. And it's not even a case if you don't need to or you can. We, we're doing lots of training sessions around the country at the moment, and people say, can I put another coat on? And when we started the training sessions, we'd go into a big, long reason of no... Uh, you don't need to, and this is the reason why, etc. Now I just say, look, if you want to put another coat on, by all means do, because you're just wiping it off, but you're using more product. Yeah. <laughs> so there's actually zero benefit from adding a second coat on, but flooring contractors and customers don't get it. Um, no. So we have seen that our competitors have started bringing out one coat oil. So um, Walker, who I worked with, obviously have the diamond oil, which is a, a one coat oil, different technology. Um, but again, a, a one coat oil as well. The USP is literally not 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 much different to what I saw in that in that flooring supply center. It's one coat, you're done, you're out. I wouldn't say nothing's changed, but obviously it's in the name. Are the coloured oils one coat? Or are they back to? Do you have to put the clear? Is it just one technology for the? the it's clear? one technology. So the, the product comes in forty standard colours. Rubio Monaco Oil Plus Two C comes in forty standard colours with 20, um, 20 trend colours. So some people might have seen our demo studio that we that we made in in our um, facility in Nuneaton, which has got all the really bright uh, herringbone colours. Um, so it comes in 60 colors overall. Um, some really unique things about it, apart from it being one coat, having 60 colors, you can get 30 to 50 square meters out of a liter of oil, right? Okay. Which is which yeah. is absolutely massive. Yeah. Um, it's VOC free, um, which is another major plus, um, and it's very environmentally friendly. So I, I think as a product, we we've seen. A huge growth by end users because they love the fact that it's one coat first and foremost it's voc free it's environmentally friendly um it comes in so many colors um it, the benefits are huge um i i think the the important thing for for listeners and for for anyone to realize is that oils are different to lacquers um yeah. oils have to be looked after more than lacquers do and as long as the the person applying the oil and the end consumer using the oil understands that there's a little bit more aftercare with the floor. Yeah. Then an oil floor is, is really durable is, is fantastic. And that's demonstrated across, you know, across the world in, in so many situations. I think, unfortunately people think, Oh, it's an oil floor. I can treat it like I treat a lacquered floor. I never have to do anything to it. No. Um, so the benefit with an oil floor, if you do look after it, the likelihood of, although it'll age and it will dent and you'll get you'll get wear marks here and there. If you look after it with maintenance oils and the correct soaps and things, you may never have to sand the floor. You know, you can at least prolong it for for many years. Whereas a lacquer floor will eventually you'll start it'll go yellow and it'll start dulling and you'll probably get to a stage where it just looks horrendous and a refresh doesn't do anything. You know. No, that's exactly that's. Uh, I'm looking at my floor in the room. I'm I'm sat in, and it's a it's a dark smoked, which would come out with the sand, and it's got a white oil over the top. So my mindset's already on that when it starts showing a sign of, I'll be looking for a, a white maintenance oil of some type to 
to top it up because if I sand it, it's going to be very, very difficult to replicate a dark, smoked and white, heavily brushed surface um, to the standard of a factory finished board. So completely get that. It's interesting because floor sanders who will probably be listening to 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 this podcast will probably say, well, if people if people don't want it sanded, we lose our work. But whenever I've done training session with floor sanders, I've said, look, when you when you're doing a job, twice into it, an annual deep clean and and re-oil buff, you know, and and it's something you can train up your apprentices to do. Um, Eventually they can just go along, give it a deep clean, a a buff, and and then you've got regular income stream year after year after year. And the customer's happy because they're not having to sand the floor and they're getting really good value for money out of the timber. That's right. You could even do a subscription service or, you know, and then exactly. first, first in the month, get cash flow before you've even set foot out the door. But, but yeah, a- absolutely. It's, uh, certainly gone through my mind a few when we used to have a sanding business that uh, we did do quite a lot of maintenance. We did schools as well. Uh, but it's uh, the domestic side. I think there's a huge, a huge thing for professional um cleaning and maintenance only um because people are scared to do it themselves in case they ruin the floor so it's uh yeah i think the biggest challenge is getting the furniture out but that's not actually doing the maintenance floor i mean after a house and after a car a floor is probably in a lot of cases the single biggest investment well kitchens but it's a a big investment for people you know these real wood floors that whether it's been sanded or whether it's been installed even if it's just being installed, that needs regular maintenance. But these can be, you know, £100 a square metre as a starter fitted, you know, uh, upwards. And that's oh. a big investment for people. Yeah. No, I think in the cost of materials now, um, you know, are fitted £100 a metre used to be my go-to number 15, 15 years ago. And now a premium floor is, is well double that. Um, you know, Heronborn with the place of plywood and everything so it's yeah if you're paying 200 pound a meter you know and you're paying i don't know fifteen thousand pound you wouldn't treat a fifty thousand pound car with uh, with no maintenance so you, you know if you've got an expensive floor put in perspective it's why why give that second fiddle as well yeah and you know to factor in 10 15 pounds a square meter annual cleaning is is nothing in the in the grand scheme of things is it no no absolutely not and then especially making sure there's no disappointment um into the future as well of oh this is stained or this is heavily scratched or something you know keeping in touch i think can prevent that so with with oils and um with some oils you can obviously buy ultra matte satin gloss and i'm assuming with um ruby oil you apply it to the floor and you buff it off and then and buff it so it, it and then leave it um but how when i've buffed oils on in the past you get a cross between a matte and a satin finish near enough be- no matter what sheen level you use if you roller it on you can guarantee a matte or a satin finish but with a buffed on finish you kind of get somewhere between if someone wanted to do an ultra matte or a gloss finish is that possible with rubio yeah, I mean, our, our most oils, uh, in fact, pretty much all oils come out the tin once they're dry um, and buffed off a floor, look quite matte anyway, um, which is which is probably a, a negative because we, now we're getting into a, a time when people want really black floors or really dark brown floors. Sometimes a gloss over the top just adds a little bit of depth and richness to it. And 
we do have, and I think most brands would probably have things that you can put onto it. So we we have a, a maintenance oil, universal maintenance oil, which comes in different uh, different gloss finishes that you can apply the day after, um, or we have a um, an oil varnish which can be uh, buffed on a small amount buffed on um, again I, after it's been applied to to add a little bit more protection um, if if there's concerns about that, but also to add um, to add different sheen levels. Um, okay. But by their very nature, they are. They are very flat. Well, is everything in the Rubio range uh, buffed on? Even the maintenance and the varnishes is—is is it a buff-on system? Yeah, we the, the buff-on system is easiest way. I mean, I would imagine that your podcast will be listened to by people who who have buffing machines, and that's the that's the easiest way. There's there's different ways. The data sheets, you know, some you can apply by hand. You can roll on. Generally, with oils, the biggest apart from apart from Osmo and other hard wax oils, tree text things like that. The most important thing with oils is just make sure you polish them, polish them, polish the excess off. Which we often we don't often get, but if if things go wrong, it's because we've had a user of tree text or Osmo who has um, who has applied it and not taken the excess off, and then had a complaint the day after that. Um, the floor is still sticky, and that's the same as it was at, at Waka, you know. Are they single component um, or are they um, two pack? On, on the, the Oil Plus Two sees a, a, a two pack, two component. Yeah, um, it can be used without the accelerator, but the accelerator speeds up the curing process. So, the the fully cured time is is uh, three to five days, depending on ambient temperatures when using the accelerator. Um, Without the accelerator, you're doubling that basically, um, and you don't get the same hardness in the finish without the excel accelerator. Excuse me. So I'm going to go into a, a few other questions that could be related to Rubio or even just your general experience. So, um, what is the biggest challenge in the flooring industry right now? <laughs> Big question, but uh, biggest challenge facing the flooring industry right now. Um, from what I see as the biggest challenge in the flooring industry, it's it's people. It's um, it's having skilled trades coming through. When I when I worked in the industry, hopefully there's no one from the tax listening, but it was it was a case of you know you um, you went out with a carpet fitter and you got some lunch and a, a few quid at the end of the day. Um, but that was my apprenticeship. There was nothing official. Now yeah. I know that there are more official apprenticeships these days, but I don't see enough people being attracted into the industry. I don't see enough skilled people, certainly, certainly flooring fitting and, and carpet fitting, which isn't a, which isn't probably a, a sexy business. And it's quite, it's physical graft that, you know, I look at the, the flooring fitters that I know and they're getting older and older. And some of them are still at it in their sixties that I was working with 25 years ago. And I don't see enough young people coming through. Um, for me, that's what I think is the, the biggest challenge that in this industry faces. The challenge is, unless I'm incorrect, but certainly when we were looking to employ um, apprentices, um, the main apprenticeship that's available is joinery, which if you're going to be a wood floor fitter or a laminate fitter or an LVT, um, the, you can do courses to learn how to do that. But doing apprenticeships, the nearest as far as it all was, was joinery. But then you had to demonstrate hanging a door, um, um, putting in a roofing system at the minimum, like on a porch, 
fitting a back door, which are kind of not tasks you normally do when you're doing Mrs. Smith's living room. You know, the skirting board and the and the installation behind the plywood in and the subfloor is very relevant, but you never could get really good apprentices because you couldn't fit the criteria of the external work, um, which it may have changed now, but certainly I completely agree. Everyone I've seen now... Um, biggest challenge is staff and that that since covid has gone nuts because you i mean even management sales you 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 you're putting jobs out there and you're putting opportunities and they're getting harder and harder to fill um throughout the whole industry so i would probably completely agree with you on even from the guys coming up from the ground to the senior management trying to find the right people now is is it's, it's got to be fifty percent more difficult than it was five six years ago because you you put a CV request out and uh, uh, you know you get thousands of applications and it was a bit taking the piss a little bit you know that you get so many applications and now you don't you don't get any and and if you do get anyone there's there's demands that go with them. We've got a position out at the moment that we're looking to fill and I've been recruiting for and doing some interviews and. You know, that's over LinkedIn, it's over our website and I've promoted it and we've put it through social media and the number of applications has actually been very low and it's not a, a low paid job, you know, it's a, we're looking for an area business manager for Northern UK. Um, yeah. There's quite a bit of freedom in the role, but it's also a well-paid job and yeah, it's, um, it's there's not been uh, an influx of of so many CVs and, and when we have had them, I'd say 10 or 15% of the people have actually read the job description. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they've they've applied for the job and they've uh, they've pushed trolleys or they've or they've this 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 one time they spoke to a customer uh, uh, you know in a in a bar or something. It's, uh... <laughs> you know, I believe in giving people opportunities, but I think it depends on the role that you're trying to give people opportunities for, and depends on the business at the time. And I think you know when I look at the floor sanding business uh, or industry, for example, I when I speak to floor sanders, a lot of them have come from have maybe changed from the the cleaning industry and or they were doing tiles or and then they've moved into wood floor sanding That's um, right. but there's not a lot of new people coming into it and i suppose there's some big barriers for i mean w- w- when i was young i was a carpet fitter so you need a bolster a knife and a and a kick a knee kicker and maybe a <laughs> hammer um so the, the 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 barriers there of of equipment w- weren't that much but if i look at the floor sanding industry now to be to, to be a floor sander, the, the setup cost must be 15 grand, 10 to 15 grand if you're getting, 10 grand if you're getting second-hand machines and 15 grand if you're buying new. That's right. Um, so there's big barriers to getting people into it with no support to help them either. The guys that do go on their own um, find out the challenges of running running their own businesses where you know they, they're thinking you know, five, six hundred pound a day is a lot of money. Um but then when you bring these costs in of servicing of the machines and stock, even on a small scale, uh, suddenly that uh, £500 a day doesn't go a massive You can make a good living from it, but it certainly doesn't look as attractive as it could do from the other side of the fence. So I've known a few people try it um, and then think, no, I'm going to go back to employment because it's it's hard work. It's, I mean, it's a graft, yeah. The guys at work, the guys sanding oil, well, sorry, anyone in the floor industry that works on their own, I mean, hats off to them because it's like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's graft, you know, there's, don't think there's, there's an easier, you know, even if it's LVT, sanding, carpet fitting, whatever it is, you know, you're in for a treat for, you know, 40, 60 hours a week. <laughs> if you're out on your own, um, 
you know, without a hand, you know, it's easy if you've got someone to help, but, but yeah. Biggest mistake you've ever made? <laughs> you've been an apprentice, it could be something like that, or it even could be something more recent. What's the biggest mistake, flooring related, you've ever made? Um, probably staying at carpet right too long. Yeah. Um, oh, why is that? Um, the business had gone through change and um, I let it get to a state. I, in our, uh, in Ireland, we went over to restructure the business. The business was losing millions of pounds and I, I, I was sent there for three weeks and it ended up being four and a half years and um, it, it was good. Um, but I think I fought the fight of the Irish people in the Irish business um, a little bit too much, got invested into it and then I was asked to come back over to the UK to look after a region, but the business was was going through a bit of a bit of turmoil. Um, the person who founded the business, Lord Harris, had been voted out of the business, and um, then had started up a, a rival company called Tappy Carpets. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it got to a stage where on a Saturday night at six o'clock, you would take your figures, and then um, people would be the, the fax machine would go, but it was a digital fax, so they. The stores would use a fax machine, and it would ping on the computer. So six o'clock, it would start pinging, and it would be a whole, it would be a whole store staff. So six, seven people, resignations. So the my old colleagues have been going round the patch. So the 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 M4 corridor, which was the patch I looked after, was was the biggest region in monetary terms for 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 carpet writing. So it was obviously a big target for Tappy, who were yep. trying to cannibalize the business to open stores so they my old colleagues were going around and they'd be recruiting whole teams of staff and you know it, I, I let it get to a stage where i actually wasn't enjoying it and i think if you're not enjoying something you need to life's too short cut and yeah. run yeah. um but it was a learning experience you know and you, you don't if, if you don't experience these things you don't know what you don't know what to look out for or what to to change from yeah, I think there's always there's always a positive in a negative situation. I think it's uh, yeah. Um, so if you could start your career again, um, back with what you know now, it's it's sixteen or eighteen years old. How would you start? Hey, that's a that's a very interesting one. I wish I'd had these questions before I before I agreed to this. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's an interesting one because I was. Um, I was always a bit entrepreneurial as a kid. No word of a lie. My dad worked at Allied Carpets, and it, it, when carpets were discontinued, he used to come home with um, hundreds of the 18 by 18 carpet samples. So we had about 400 in the garage. We lived in a small village in Scotland, and whenever I needed a football or needed money for something, I'd go around with a wheelbarrow at eight years old selling carpets around the doors. Um, so so I've always had a bit of a, an entrepreneurial streak. I remember this village we lived in, was they had a there was an Earl, Earl of Darnaway. And, and I remember, I remember selling the, the Earl's mother. Um, she was in her eighties. I think I was selling, sold her apples. Little did she know the apples were from her own tree. Um, so <laughs> there's no word of a lie on my daughter's life. Um, so I've always been entrepreneurial and, and that, that led to me as a 16 year old, as I turned 16 and I wasn't stupid in school. I, look, I, I was never going to, um, um, be a, a biochemist or, or or work for NASA, but I wasn't stupid. But as soon as I turned sixteen, I'd had the, I, w- I was working part time. I'd always had a thing for earning money. Yeah, I decided just to leave school on my sixteenth birthday, and I I carried around for a long time um, a bit of a chip on my shoulder that if you don't have a 
um, if you don't have a um, a good education or university degree, you you um, you're not worth anything, or, or you won't get anywhere. But I've used that as a, a massive driver. I had a teacher in school who who said, you know, you'll never amount to anything, and that's always been a big driver for me. In hindsight, I probably would have stuck around for maybe another year or so. Right. Um, but I've also learned learned a lot from starting leaving sure. leaving school at 16 and, and just started grafting um so yeah in hindsight yeah. i'd probably I, I i don't say you have to have university education because i don't believe that i think the school of life can give you a better a better foothold but you know with my daughter now I, you know i'd encourage her to at least leave with a good level of um of school education i think i had a conversation with someone the other day that had, had been to university to study they do business studies and they said they learned more in six months of um working for quite an entrepreneurial company than they learned three years doing a business degree so it's uh i, I didn't go to university or anything like that and i started with the, the school of life at 16 as well uh but it's got to be a decision um for me and my wife of you know because she went to university and I didn't, um, it's you know I'm on the fence of well, I'm pretty confident if if my kids came in to our businesses um, for six months, I definitely think they'd learn more than um, doing a business degree. But then my wife did a business degree and did uh, in um, hotel management as well, um, you know and. Are either of us better equipped to do what we do? I don't. I don't know. So it's it's it's, it's a, probably a debate for another day. Um, but I certainly think it's uh, an interesting one to to go over of uh, how how the young one should start. But maybe an apprenticeship in wooden wooden flooring or flooring installation could be uh, could be a good one. Um, so look, I I think if you've got work ethic, that's the most important thing, and I think that's something that I see a lack of quite often people are happy to cruise through life and and that you know everyone's got different personalities but i'm a bit of a i've always been a bit of a uh, a workhorse my my parents set they, they were both grafters and my dad still works and he, he's he's just gone semi-retirement and but he was a grafter so you know at the moment i leave i leave bristol at half five six o'clock every morning and get in it uh, drive to the meeting and come back at half six seven o'clock at night and i think if you've got work ethic then attitude and work ethic will get you where you want to get to i think that's we're certainly not going to go on the subject of covid but unfortunately i think the the subject of covid has created this sort of stay at home work from home ethic not as you stated get your backside in the car at half past five and get out to work because that's all i did when i was 18 19 i was i was out the door um you know you know at half six and on the job for eight you know, working half six, which still a lot of people do, but the new ones that are coming through are like, well, I want 500, 600 pound a week, but I, I only want to work 38 hours and I want uh, I want this and I want that and, you know, I still want to be paid well. And it's like, well, that's not how it used to work. <laughs> it used to, you know? And I think we're moving to a four-day week, you know. I mean, as I say, I spent most of my time in retail, so every Saturday I'd work a lot of Sundays. Every week was six days a week. Um you know, and now I've got a family. I appreciate that I don't work six days a week. Um, you know, I, I gen- I'm generally answering emails at the weekend, but I've got two days off at the weekend to 
to to enjoy. And I think I'd find it a struggle to get back into retail now with those hours. But I don't know if a four day a week's a bit too much, to be honest with you. That that's that's been the game change for me. When I closed my retail store um for three months, catag- like every time on a Saturday morning we woke up and we're like looking around the bedroom going, What day is it? It's Saturday. We're still in bed. It's eight o'clock. And it was like this isn't like this has been life where we work, at least one of us works six day a week. And that that was that was the norm. That was there wasn't like or oh, what about this uh, bit of flex? It was one of us, possibly both of us, work Saturday because it was retail. You open the door nine o'clock Saturday morning, um, and that and that was it. And it took three months to adjust. And I'm co- completely on board with you there. Now, I think I'd have to be paid an exorbitant amount of money to work back in retail fully because Saturday mornings, uh, Saturday mornings now, it's it's um, when you know for years and years it was just a way of life. It was. Bacon sandwich, coffee, open the, the retail store door. I, I'll tell you a funny story quickly. I um, what, I ended up going back to Carpet Right, but I, I left at one stage. I was a manager for them, and um, my sister had, uh, lives in Australia, and I, I'd gone over and visited, and I, and I got a real a real hunger. I was single at the time, and I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to come and live here. So I quit the job and intended to move over completely. So the first, I, I went over on a working holiday visa to try and set things up. And I was working for a flooring business called Carpet Court in Perth. And a couple of really good guys, Dario and um, John. And um, I was a salesperson, full-time job. And it was four and a half days a week. I was like, okay. I said, how's this work? He said, well, we're closed su- Sunday. We close at uh, one o'clock or 12 o'clock, sorry, on a Saturday and you get a day off during the week. And I was like, oh, great. This is fine. So I did it for a couple of weeks and I went to them and I was bored. I, s- I said, look guys, I know no one here. You know, um, I'm kind of bored. Can I work all the d- days and hours you're open? And they looked at me like I had two heads. I said, look, I don't want a day off during the week and I'll work every Saturday until 12 o'clock. And they were like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll give you an extra $10,000. Does that sound all right? And I was like, yeah, 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 that's fine. But, but it was just the mentality I'd been ingrained in of, you know, what I, I didn't know what to do with spare time. If I had spare time when I was in Scotland, which was very rare, I'd have a Saturday off. It would be football cooping down the pub and watch the, the results come in, you know? So I didn't yeah. know what to do with myself. So working was the only thing I, I knew what to do, which might be a bit sad. No, I, think I completely get that. It's uh, and I think it's when when life gets in the way and children get in the way. Sometimes they would get in the way, but change things. Then then changing the way you work and changing how how to change your output. I think is is massive. But it's yeah, I, yeah. I did six seven day weeks for years and years pre pre children, and then it's progressed into making choices. Um, so hundred percent get that. So what we're going to do to, to end the podcast is a relatively quick fire round. So if you can keep them as short and sweet as you can, um, nothing. Some are a little bit fun. Some are flooring related. Carpet or wood? Which one? If you have to carpet. choose. Carpet. LVT or wood? Wood. McDonald's or Burger King? McDonald's. Okay. If you won £10 million tonight on the lottery, what would you spend it on? I'd invest in a business. And what does your morning routine look like to be able to perform at a high level at work? Creeping out the door so I don't wake up the family. 
Last one. You can have a bit more time on this one. What's next? The world. <laughs> the world. So we, we are we're going really well at Rubio. I've been there just over a year. Um, and we've almost um, we'll be close to doubling turnover in the first year, um, which is a monumental feat. Um, yeah. I want to try and do the same next year. The flooring industry isn't our biggest our biggest driver, and we've been doing training courses. And I'd I'd like people in flooring to to um, to get involved a little bit more in the training courses and with Rubio. Um, but it's not something with Waka. I tried to force it, and I tried to you know trying to get flooring contractors away from lacquer to oil is like trying to change Catholics to Protestants. It's yeah. it's one of these things that will happen, happen naturally. We're there to support. We've got some amazing products. We're happy to demonstrate, to come to you to demonstrate. We're happy for people to come to, to Nuneaton um, to do training days. We've got some amazing products that I think would fit in anyone's van. Um, just open your eyes to them. Using that plan, how, how can people that listen to the podcast, um, do these training courses? We, we've been pushing them. Um, we have training courses. So we did our first one in Glasgow um, at Murrayfield Stadium, then Twickenham, then Leeds. And then we've just finished London East um, uh, last week, week before. Um, we've got one in Bristol on the 12th and 13th. Now these are, we do one day for woodworkers and one day for flooring contractors. Yeah. Um, so Bristol on the 12th and 13th of January, Manchester on around the 26th, 27th of January. Um, and then I think we do Cambridge, Brighton and Dublin. So these mm. I posted on the, the flooring group that you're an admin of Tom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're on our website. They can get in touch with me direct. Um, but we happy, you know, if you're a company and you've got three or four flooring contractors, we'll put on a bespoke one for you in Nuneaton, Brilliant. you know, or we'll come to you. We, um, yeah, we're here to support the industry. Our biggest market is proven to be um, cabinet makers, woodworkers, and things like that, and um, joinery companies yeah, and um, exterior. But our roots are flooring. Um, right. So we, don't, we, we want to try and keep that strong. Brilliant. Where's the best place to contact you directly, um, so people can get in touch with you? So you can um, you can call me. Always happy to take a call. My number is zero um, seven five eight one six nine six zero two nine. That's my work number. I never turn the phone off, so it's always there. I might not answer, but the phone's always there. Um, my email address is uh, richard.geddis, uh, which is Golf Echo Delta Delta Echo Sierra at rubiomonaco.co.uk you can get me on LinkedIn I'm reasonably active on LinkedIn and I, uh, I like to share work um, and apart, uh, if you can't get me those ways then you can track me down yeah. in my meeting <laughs> yeah <laughs> brilliant well thank you so much for coming on the show and I'm sure we will uh, cross paths very soon thank you very we much we will do thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening to the Woodfork podcast. I've been your host, Tom. If you'd like to find out more information about what we do, you can visit our website at cockerelandco.co.uk. That's cockerelandco.co.uk. We also have an Instagram account, which is cockerelandco, and also we are on Facebook. Once again, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And we look forward to seeing you here again soon.